to Open Minds UFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am with, you might think it's Martin Willis. Martin, not here, Willis. He's actually not here. He's in Florida. Uh, he's running around trying to check in a hotel or something like that, so he couldn't make it to record the show. And I guess his guest canceled on him, so he won't be doing his own show, Podcast UFO, this week. But before you feel sorry for him... He did send me a picture of these beautiful white beaches where he's at. So he does not deserve our pity at all. In fact, he should be the one pitying us who are back, you know, doing our regular uh, life rigmarole. He's doing fine. So I hope he has a great time. He's actually there for work, but he's planning on doing a lot of fun stuff too. So Martin's not here with us, but uh, I got a lot of news to go over anyway. So uh, with that, we could probably get through more. <laughs> So, I want to talk to you first about my guest. My guest tonight is Rich Hoffman. He's been on the show before. Uh, he's a part of the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, so we've talked about that. He's also a researcher. He actually grew up uh, in Dayton, Ohio, or near Dayton, Ohio, which is, of course, is where Project Blue Book was actually headed out of, uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. He started when he was a kid. In fact... At 15, he appeared on the Phil Donahue show, and he became known as kind of this local UFO expert. So he's been in this field for decades. Uh, he was known for, you know, being the state director in Alabama. He also was a director of MUFON Strategic Projects. He's no longer with MUFON, though. Now he's with the SCU, the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, which he helped start. And uh, for a full disclosure, I actually was part of the formation of this organization as well. I'm kind of a ad board advisor, not necessarily a board member. But in this show, we talk about the SCU, but in pick. In particular, the need for scientific investigation uh, of the UFO phenomena and kind of the credible uh, investigation and, and this interface with science that needs to happen. I've said over and over again, there needs to be a SETI of UFOs. And the reason I say that is because you may not be aware, but uh, watching this closely, you know, in the 90s to now, there's been a huge transformation. It used to be that the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, also known as SETI, often when you refer to the term SETI, people uh, think of Seth Shostak and Jill Tarter. These are scientists who work in this uh, arena. They work for an organization called the SETI Institute, so it's a little different. Now, uh, and I've, of course, I repeat this over and over again, practically every episode we bring up SETI, because it's very important to understand the distinction, because there are SETI initiatives. In other words, SETI stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. There are those sort of initiatives outside 
of this organization, the Institute, that happened. So that's important to know. So when you're referring to SETI and more and more as, you know, we read these articles and see uh, people working in this arena, that term does not mean the SETI Institute, and it used to. But getting back to why there needs to be a SETI of UFOs and why I use that terminology is that in the 90s or earlier on, kind of like if you saw this movie Contact, great movie uh, starring Jodie Foster. It's actually based on a book written by Carl Sagan. But the whole search for extraterrestrial intelligence was not taken very seriously decades ago, Uh, even up into the 90s where things started to change. In fact, you know, it was seen as very fringe and kind of silly as represented in that movie. Uh, So it wasn't taken very seriously. There was a lot of fodder to make fun of it. However, things changed over time. And now uh, some could argue that NASA is a SETI sort of organization. So much of what NASA is doing is looking for life and other projects kind of related to that, that this is really, and, and not only that, anything the SETI Institute does becomes news. So it's really changed from being fringe to mainstream. So now you're probably seeing why I keep saying there needs to be a SETI of UFO research, really moving this topic from the fringe into the serious. Now, I believe that Lou Elizondo, who's come out, who worked for the Pentagon investigating UFOs, uh, that's kind of been debated in UFO circles, but fortunately is not being debated in the in the areas where I think it's most important, which is the mainstream and in mainstream science. And that has began to change things. There is kind of this movement. But what SETI did was essentially stack the deck with scientists. They got lots of scientists involved. They interfaced with scientists. They tackled this issue head on. And they became a part of the community, a part of the zeitgeist, or a part of the kind of... What we see as science and space is looking for extraterrestrial intelligence, which makes sense. I mean, we've got Star Trek, we've got Star Wars, we've got all of this uh, sort of cultural perception of space and ideas of space having to do with alien life. It should be or it can be something that we look towards and try to uh, discover and take seriously. So there has to be this movement. I'm very excited for the Scientific Coalition for Ufology because I think this is the group. Uh, there have been groups kind of w- attempting to do this in the past, but none as prolific, I would say, as as you know, hardworking as this group that uh, the Scientific U- Coalition for Ufology, the SCU. For example, we're going to talk about Rich and what he's up to and what SCU is up to and what his goals are for this organization. But they're getting a lot done. If, if you go to their website, explorescu.org, you'll see a lot of stuff there. You'll see some papers, uh, some science kind of base papers, uh, other research into UFOs that have been done, serious, credible investigation, uh, or at least uh, theorizing over how we really discover something, how we move things along, and how we take this, uh, take a serious look at this topic. So I'm very excited to talk to Rich. Uh, you know, he works actually 
out of Huntsville, Alabama, near the uh, Redstone Arsenal. He works for Army Material Command, actually. He is a IT contractor, so he works in the computer field. Um, so he's got this insight into that world, at least on the intelligence side, which is helpful, or at least I should say in the government end, which is helpful because, you know, um, that's sort of where this conversation is going. We've had Nick Pope on recently to talk about that. So it's very exciting. In fact, what else is cool is John Alexander, Army, uh, retired Army intelligence officer, he also has gone into the uh, civilian world to work in uh, defense and, and on weaponry and all of this great stuff. But he's really into UFOs. Uh, and he investigated. He had this group that he put together to look into where are the secrets. What does the government know that they're not telling us? What he found was, uh, like he said, it was more kind of bumbling bureaucracy and uh, just really dropping the ball is what he found more so than kind of this major overall secrecy. Uh, and he uh, he spoke at Phoenix MUFON recently and uh, just the other day, and it was a great talk because he talks about budgets. He talks about how you're able to do this sort of thing. You know, Lou Elizondo has talked about this quite a bit. If you've read George Knapp's articles uh, on more information that he has discovered regarding ATIP, this organization from the Pentagon that investigated the UFOs, uh, you know, more around the budgets and Harry Reid, the senator, and how they had to frame things and word things in order to get money into this group to do their UFO research without mentioning the word UFO. We're going to talk about that with Rich because that's really important. People and funding run from the term UFO because of all the baggage that the term has with it. And these are really serious considerations when we're looking into moving things forward and getting people involved who have an interest but are afraid of the blowback that can happen. Harry Reid talked about that, that fear, that very real issue that they had when he, they were trying to set up ATIP. So it's a big deal. It's a big thing. And uh, we've got to work smarter, I think, in this field if we really want to make some progress. And that's what I think SCU is doing. That's what I, I personally feel the To The Stars Academy is doing. It's not easy, and uh, it's very difficult. Everything's nuanced. Everything has to be, you know, you're literally walking on eggshells. Everything has to be done right, and that's why it takes insiders to guide this and to move things along, and I'm excited that that is what we now have happening. So I have mentioned that, you know, that I'm going to have Lou Elizondo on the show. We're looking like probably the next show will be that interview. So I'm very excited about that. We'll bring this conversation um, forward even further. And then maybe after that, I'll have John Alexander. Uh, we'll talk about his talk at Phoenix MUFON. But this is a really important time for this field, and we have to capitalize on it, and we can't just stick to, and, and I don't mean to insult anybody, you all know I never intend to do that, but there's a lot of sloppy thinking, you know, there's a lot of, well, it must be this, or it must be that, and if I look at the, you know, they, whoever they may be, 
do this, so that must mean they're hiding this or that that happened. And all of these scenarios are wild and fringe. And so many people, so many even prominent quote-unquote UFO researchers, uh, you know, purport this information without looking into or even researching or digging in and talking to these key players. And that's really important because you have to run these things by all of your conspiracy theories or wild ideas. You know, it's fair to be able to let these people speak to them as they often do when I interview them because there's often real-world answers real-world considerations, and there are reasons why things are done the way they are. What's interesting is uh, a lot of people assume that many of these people are hiding these major secrets behind interfacing with aliens or some other wild idea when, in fact, that's not the case. These people feel just like you do, or just like some of these people with French beliefs, and they're doing their best as an insider to try to get answers and try to move this conversation along in a serious way. Um, and instead of bashing these people or, you know, assuming they're evil and terrible and doing all of these bad things, you know, there's a lot more cooperation and there's a lot more, uh, well, that can happen. I think a lot of people assume, oh, they don't know, you know, they haven't listened to this speaker or that speaker, or they haven't listened to this contactee or that abductee, so, you know, they don't know what's going on. Well, they know more than you think, and they, uh, it's just typically when uh, you don't understand a system, you know, uh, it's easy to assume why that system works the way it does, and it's difficult to dive in there and try to understand the complexities. In fact, it's similar to something that John Alexander said. He said that uh, really this topic and researching it is as serious and as difficult, complicated as investigating, you know, a cure for cancer. It's a very complicated issue. And if you're going to do it, the service that needs to be done, then there's a lot of resources, a lot of different scientific disciplines that need to be put into play um, in, you know, taking a wide look at, at this topic. So I think we're in a great chance to actually get that done. There are players in, in the field right now doing this. And I hope that SCU can kind of become that SETI. Um, stay strong, stay scientific, and uh, interact with and take feedback from mainstream science to kind of break down those barriers and to move this. So maybe in five, ten years, you know, when people bring up uh, UFOs, it's considered like it was with Project Blue Book or it, it was to Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who's represented, of course, in this television show, Project Blue Book, a serious scientific uh, investigation, uh, a serious scientific pursuit for knowledge about an unknown mystery. So I think we have that opportunity and we're moving towards that. And we're going to get into the news. And I think the news is doing the same thing, is pointing towards all of this as well. So let's get into the news. Uh, I do want to mention a couple of things when it comes to the news uh, and my, my YouTube live show. 
So I'm doing this live show called UFOs Seriously Live. You know, it's essentially a live YouTube show where we're taking the topic seriously, and I go over all of the UFO news, and I also answer questions for chats, uh, from chats, so there's some one-on-one interaction with people. If you're not watching it on YouTube, you must and I am very disappointed you for, for not doing that. I'm just kidding. I know people are busy, got a lot going on. But if you have the opportunity to, even if you can't catch it live, you know, you'll be able to hear me talking about a lot of news, a lot of these issues. It's on YouTube, and I'm moving a lot more stuff over to my YouTube channel, which is called the Alejandro Advantage. If you just Google Alejandro Rojas on YouTube, you're going to find a lot of other guys. Most of them don't speak English. So, um, But if you uh, look for the Alejandro Advantage, you'll find my page where I've got lots of cool stuff, lots of videos going up, and I'm going to have more and more going up there. You can also find all of these linked at the AlejandroTRojas.com, uh, which is my blog, or on the Patreon. Uh, so, Yeah. It would just be great for you guys to see that because I'm talking about all of this sort of stuff and then answering questions from the chat. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, check that out. And in fact, I'm going to videotape myself doing my intro, doing these interviews with people uh, for the podcast. And I'm also going to put those up there uh, soon as well. So I'm going to beef all that up stuff up because I want to get information out to you all as quickly and as often as possible because we live in such important times when it comes to this just terribly interesting field. I mean, you know, sometimes people will say, why don't you believe in UFOs? And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Why do you think I do these podcasts and stuff? I think there's a genuine mystery here. We have to look into it just because, you know, uh, a news story comes out and they say, look, there was a UFO that just flew over the desert and some guy took a picture and it's got to be a UFO, but it's a bird or it's a plane or something. Just because I don't believe everything's a UFO or an extraterrestrial spacecraft does not mean I don't believe in this field. It's just the opposite. I want the good data, the good information, so we can really determine uh, something based off of anomalous information, not based off of information that we can't confirm is anomalous or is likely not to be. That's a waste of time. So anyway, in the news, A couple of interesting things when it comes to Project Blue Book. First of all, you may not have heard this, but Project Blue Book, the History Channel series, has got renewed for a second season. So that's good news. It means people are watching it. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's not good news. Uh, In fact, John Alexander this weekend expressed this opinion because the show is not totally real. They're pushing out some stuff that's not real, and we want people to know about the real Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Well, I can see that point. However, the result of the show has been a great interest that has has, um, been uh, kind of sparked in the general population about Dr. J. Allen Hynek and what he's up to. And the History Channel has put some great articles about him there. And we see these UFO stories popping up all over mainstream media because of the show. So I think it's a really good thing, personally. I think it's important. And sure, it's difficult that sometimes it's entertainment. But that's the way it is. 
You know, entertainment gets to the masses more than like a documentary does. That's just the fact of things. So, uh, you know, I don't think it hurts to attack this uh, topic and to get information out in as many fronts as possible. So that, check that out. Also, you know, I've got some reviews. I do go over my reviews on my UFO Seriously live show of Project Blue Book. And the reason that's important is not just to talk about some sci-fi show, but to talk about the real cases that are referenced. Because there's really some intelligent writing there that I don't think everybody catches up on. David O'Leary, the writer, and I'm sure the other writers and, and people involved, They're referencing actual mythologies if they're not referencing real cases. So there is a lot to learn by breaking down those stories and going over some of that stuff. Plus, we get to review other cases that uh, the, the show is not directly referencing but are similar to what the show is referencing. So it is a learning uh, kind of uh, activity that we get to go through. So Project Blue Book is going to keep rolling. Also, there are those of you in the UK, probably listeners right now, who have been wanting to watch this and kind of upset because they haven't been able to. But the Sci-Fi Channel has now picked up Project Blue Book for the UK. So the UK will be getting uh, the show on the Sci-Fi Channel sometime soon. So that's good news. Otherwise, this is really great. There's a scientist called Avi Loeb. He's actually a Harvard astronomer, and he has been talking aliens left and right, and he's been making tons of news. All of these news links, by the way, you'll find at openminds.tv on the front page, but uh, you'll see there two links. I have a Washington Post link and a Boston.com link. The Washington Post link I have there if you're a subscriber, but if you're not a subscriber, you might not be able to read the whole story, but Boston.com reprinted the whole story, and so that's why I have both links there, so you can read this story. And essentially, this is the guy, uh, the scientist, who suggested that this planetary object, Oumuamua, that's how you say it, I think it's a really fun name to say, But uh, he suggested that this, you know, kind of long potato looking thing that came through the solar system uh, like a few weeks ago could have been extraterrestrial. And a lot of his colleagues have said, that's ridiculous. How can you say that? But it has been a little bit weird in that it's the first extrasolar object to come through our solar system. Typically, like a comet will come in, come around the sun, and then leave, and maybe we won't see it for a very long time, but it is in orbit around the sun. This object came from Lord knows where and flew in, went around the sun, and it was caught in the uh, gravity of the sun, whipped around the sun, but when it moved away from the sun, it sped up, and we, the scientists were not sure why. Now, most scientists are, say, are thinking it's probably just because of the makeup of whatever this thing is. We don't understand it, but if we were able to get a sample and kind of examine it, then we would probably get why it did that. Avi Loeb is saying, well, if we got a sample, we might have found out it's alien technology. He says uh, it might be like this giant solar sail. You know, that uh, essentially what that is, is this big sail, it's on Star Trek actually, where the sun pushes it, the heat from the sun or radiation from the sun is able to push this sail just like a wind would, it's kind of like solar winds, and, and that's how it travels. So he thinks that maybe that's what it was. 
Lots of his colleagues are getting really upset about this. Some of them think that uh, he's just kind of challenging people by bringing this up. But he's doing interviews and he's not backing down. He's saying this is a possibility. Uh, In fact, he did a a video also, and we've got a link on the page, why the universe may be full of alien civilizations, where he talks about his belief that that may be the case. Really cool stuff. So you got to check those stories out. Um, you know, again, and we keep talking about this, this is these scientists kind of coming out and talking about aliens. It's kind of getting okay for scientists to talk about aliens. So really cool stuff. Also, there's another good story there about Tom DeLonge, his drummer with Blink-182, saying that he and Tom used to like to get stoned and go look for UFOs in the desert. Uh, you know, he, uh, said sometimes they saw stuff and, and he was on Joe Rogan, the drummer. Um, his name is Travis Barker. And he said that, you know, he, he likes the UFO thing. He thinks that there may be aliens visiting us. He just says, I don't know that I would quit my job with Blink-182, you know, leave my everything and go do UFO stuff like Tom did, but he thinks it's pretty cool. So, Uh, That's an interesting story out there as well. That is the news, ladies and gentlemen. You can see all of this at openminds.tv. But let's go ahead and talk to Rich Hoffman. We'll have him on right after this short break. Right, I am happy to welcome back to the show a lifetime ufologist, Rich Hoffman. Hello there. Hey, how you doing, Al? Good. It's good to be good yeah. to be on with you again. Yeah, it's great to have you again. And uh, you know, I called you a ufologist, which is what do you think of that term? What do you think? You know, how do we term what uh, what we do in this field? Well, it's a good question because I think it's it's actually almost changing a little bit, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Even the term the, the term UFO has uh, an interesting connotation to many. That now that there's a, this emphasis emphasis that's like you know changing them to AAPs or UAPs or that type of thing. And uh, I, I still think of myself as a ufologist, even though I mean I've always adopted the the fact that I'm going to be dealing with. Not only flying objects, I'm going to be dealing with another kind of an might be underwater objects or something of that nature. But it, you know, I think we need to look at maybe coming up with another way of, you know, uh, calling ourselves <laughs> because I think that too often it, it has this again, it's a negative connotation with the word UFO or the term UFO that everybody immediately attributes to being aliens and, you know, a bunch of kooks running around wearing some sort of like, you know, hats or something like that. <laughs> Those aluminum hats or something like that. But I, I still think of myself as a ufologist. You know, um, so Lou Elizondo is going to be speaking uh, at an event um, that uh, you have been organizing for the Scientific Coalition for Ufology. And I bring this up because the last person who brought this up to me was Lou. He was saying, you know, and this is something he wants to talk about, is he's ran across a lot of people in the last year um, being involved with all of this. And there are so many that kind of are kind of armchair. They're interested in the topic and everything. 
Um, and then there's those like you who, who you call yourself a UFO expert because you are. Uh, you've been doing this for decades. And he's like, you know, how do it's almost like we need a new term because everybody claims to be a ufologist, but there's only a handful of true experts. And that's kind of a tough, tough thing to deal with. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it is. And, you know, it, it seems like more and more, you know, anybody who, let's say, looks at a bunch of websites that can call themselves ufologists. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and we see a lot of people who are in social media that are doing the same thing. It's like, you know, and and I guess, you know, I even had that with some of the, the members of my local group. I mean, they come for entertainment as opposed to coming to study this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I try to focus it on study, you know, and there's not a lot of people that want to spend that time and that, that uh, have that long dedicated interest in, in doing that kind of study. Uh, and so it's, it's very rare, actually, uh, to be honest, to find a true, quote, unquote, ufologist anymore. Right. Um, they they make themselves self-proclaimed experts or something like that because they wrote a book or you know or something of that nature and that's that's unfortunate because I think that the the phenomena needs that in-depth study and we need specifically to focus on scientifically uh, what that means and I think that Lou's done a great job of trying to connect us to this scientific and keeping us kind of like focused if you would that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I, I have to applaud the guy for trying to corral us and to get us to think, rethink uh, that type of stuff. And uh, it's it's all good. Yeah, I'm really tempted to talk to you about and we'll get into this kind of this new world and how things I feel <clears throat> have been changing really rapidly in this field like we haven't seen before. But I kind of right. wanted to take a step back, though, and, and kind of uh, frame your perspective and approach to this phenomena and one way would be you know you you were with MUFON for decades and now you're with the scientific coalition for ufology why was it important to create this organization um what i began to see you know in, 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 you got to understand that MUFON does a, a fills a niche that i think is still very very valuable uh in the, in the sense that if you look at NUFORC, you know, in terms of what it does, it, it just gets the sighting data and it, there's nothing done in the way of investigation of the case and helping us to reduce down the, the bogus stuff or the misidentifieds or the crackpots or whatever you want to call it. But it, to get us honed down a little bit closer to getting to what the UFO is about. So with the fact of having an investigation you know, you're helping to do that, and that's boots on the ground, or that's people calling somebody and helping to walk through that. So th- that's where it plays a very critical role. So it's collecting that kind of data. Now, here's the problem that I, I continue to see in the sense that, you know, you may have in your database 70,000 cases, and that's wonderful to have 70,000 cases. But the question comes, who's taking that data and going through it and really pulling out the nuggets of the wonderful information that you need or you want to garner from a scientific standpoint to be able to help us account for the maneuverability of the object uh, to see if there's any like some people report distortions around the objects or something of that nature. And it, and it doesn't you, you did. What I saw was that we're doing a great job of collecting. It's almost like what the Air Force did. 
But then who was actually doing the analysis? Who was doing the study of that data? Mm-hmm. And and what I found was that it was very rarely being looked at. It's not like that other than, you know, the few of us, a few of us that were actually going and calling and, and looking through it. And it's one thing to go out and find a case that looks really, really good. Uh, but it, it and, and helping to relook at it and through a more of a scientific lens, which is what the the uh, science review board was attempting to do. But I mean, again, it's it's like we need to make use of the data, and people need to be able to look at the data. We 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 didn't allow you know scientists or, or other organizations or whatever to necessarily come in and look at MUFON data. They needed to be a part of MUF, and there was like you know I I mean. You know, and I was encouraging us to be able to get it in such a way that you could do that. Uh, and then for scientists to be able to take it and then do statistical analysis to be able to do all these kinds of things to be able to determine more and more about the objects and to help them craft white papers to be able to get them out, the white papers out and actually get stuff published in scientific journals. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so to me, that's where I see that we needed to go with even with a MUFON. Well, you know, I mean, the other part of that is that that MUFON started to move kind of like in directions that, that a lot of scientists uh, reject uh, outright. I mean, it's like, you know, you want to talk about secret spaceship programs or you want to talk about and have those at your conferences. Well, those kind of things uh don't help the scientific community to stay in. And what I found out is that uh, a lot of us just were starting to leave uh, and we don't want to lose those scientists who have an interest. So that kind of led to a little bit of the formation of kind of a loose knit team that we did have while we were under MUFON. uh, And we called ourselves as a team kind of like the SCU. It's just a coalition of us getting together to be able to study. And of course, you know, we were studying the Aguadilla case, right? Mm-hmm. So we started as a team then to be able to now, like, how can we apply that? And, and, and in that particular case, it was a situation where the witnesses did not want to go through any kind of a UFO lens. They wanted to keep it outside of a UFO group and move on. And so we had to now work it outside of, you know, move on. And well, that caused a lot of heartburn. But anyway, bottom line was that eventually a lot of us got a little bit disappointed with that and said, look, we need to come up with a new way of approaching this and we need to have more scientists engaged in it. And so let's go create our own group. And that's the start of SCU, Scientific Coalition. We decided to go and become a 501c3 and, you know, become incorporated and, and really start to set ourselves up. And right now, we're uh, over 40 basically scientists, uh, you know, engineering types, psychology types, uh, a lot of people that are in, dip, you know, different uh, roles in, in, and more scientific in, in our approach. And, and we've got 10 PhDs. And so we're, we're encouraging more and more people to get engaged like that to help us to do that analysis, to do a, a, a bigger d- deep dive to be able to create journal articles, if you would, to write white papers, to do peer reviews like you expect you would have in science. And so that's kind of like where we're going now. I mean, we're trying to 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 get more structured, more disciplined in that approach. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is 
if people go to the website, explorescu.org, you've got already a lot of great stuff up there. Uh, what I, I find exciting is the papers link where you have uh, different white papers or papers that have been written throughout history, including like Special Report 14 from Project Blue Book or the Condon Report, some that are well known, but others like this Estimates of Optical Power Output and Six Unexplained uh, Cases by Jacques Vallée. So these are science-oriented papers that are out there. Now, there's few and f- far between to find these right. sort of things, but they have been done in history. Yes, and so the, we're trying to collect all those uh, that are relevant to the, the scientific approach that have been published. At the same time, we're, we're also now going through and reviewing, for example, let me, let me give you this peer review process. When we did the Aguadilla case, we were like saying, well, who can we go to, you know, to have them look at our work and, and of a scientific nature? And really to help us out and in, in identifying and figuring it all out. And did we do it right? And is there is there something we're missing or that type of thing? And so we were looking for that that to happen. Well, as you might recall, we ended up going over to uh, the to uh, an organization over there, CNES, uh, and we went to a Sigma. I think it's Sigma Two or something of that nature. Group mm-hmm. that's under under their NASA, if you would that we're willing to at least look at the paper and give us some feedback on it. And right. in France and now, yeah, in France. And I'm sorry. And so we're now making that more rigorous. Uh, and we've actually taken, uh, uh, Kevin Randall did a paper on, uh, the Mantel case. So we've actually gone through and looked at his paper. We've given him some feedback. He's actually rewriting it and, and making some changes to improve it. So we're supporting him uh, in terms of that. And so we've gone through like a peer review kind of like work there. Uh, and now we're applying it to ourselves in the context of even our Nimitz uh, report, which we're, uh, we're coming out with. And so, you know, again, it's the rigor of going through having people that are technical and finding those other technical people to do that. And that's what we're trying to mature. Mm-hmm. Which is very exciting. And I mean, uh, you know, some may people may argue, well, To The Stars is kind of doing a similar thing. And certainly they have a very prestigious group of directors and people working for them. But at the same time, there's there's a lot of controversy attached to it. There's kind of this entertainment arm where what uh, is great about SCU is uh, it's just kind of pure on its own. It uh, uh, interacts with the public, and uh, and is this coalition of very serious-minded people not distracted by some of these other things? Exactly, and uh, and so that's where we're we're that's where uh, we're tending to, to go, and we want to be able to grow and mature that. And it, again, it's about getting others that are out there who. You know, might be, uh, you know, remember the, you know, Jacques Vallée, the, the uh, hidden college, you know, if you would, that's out there mm-hmm. that, that that they couldn't find an appropriate link. And, and, and the other the other good thing about it is that, and that we have to realize is that since, you know, I got started in this thing like 54 years old uh, years ago or something like that, you know, what what's happened to technology? Well, technology has blossomed to the point where we've got better tools, more information. We we're, we're starting to see cases like the Nimitz or, or like these other kinds of like the Aguadilla, where you're starting to get military grade equipment. You're getting thermal imaging kinds of cameras and you're getting 
multi-sensory data. And, and, you know, there's nothing that scientists love more than having data given to them, right? Mm-hmm. So, so now you've got, a, you know, a scientific community who can engage because there's some data for them to analyze. Right. And, and, and so as opposed to, hi, I saw a UFO last night. Right. Let, me show you, let me show you my blurred photo. Yeah. You know? Okay. And so what we're trying to encourage is the use of technology to get things like spectral images. We're looking to get thermal graphs. Uh, we're looking to get, you know, obviously radar wherever we can. Uh, and there's other means of being able to get other kinds of data to, to be able to go along with a case that we haven't been considering or analyzing in the past that will now help us to understand the objects better, you know. And so we're now looking to encourage that development as well. So, mm-hmm. And, you know, those are great outlines. There's, there was uh, some I've heard uh, some people say, you know, you, there can't be. Uh, any science applied to the UFO field, which is kind of a bit odd uh, to yeah. hear from some people, but certainly you can. What you do need data, and certainly anecdotal data is is uh, a start, but it's not much. But when it comes to radar and photos, that's data you can actually do something with. Correct, and and we as scientists can also engage in helping to get the tools out to the community, meaning that, you know, why can't scientists help us develop those things like, you know, you might be aware of, but I mean, those like those portable devices that would put some sort of multi-sensory data uh, kind of capability out at a site where there's a hotspot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you had Center for UFO Studies, which is doing the UFO data thing. You had Mark D'Antonio working with, uh, you know, a couple others and, and stuff like that to be able to help develop something. And so there's, there's a good start of moving that direction. And so we need to get that a little bit orchestrated. And why can't scientists be on that cutting edge in, in terms of helping to develop it and get it out mm-hmm. uh, uh, to others? And that's what I want to talk about also even at this, the conference that I'm going to be coming up with. Yeah, definitely. My last question, though, uh, along these lines, before we get into the conference, because this is exciting yeah. too, uh, yeah. and there's a great segue from something recently I wrote about. Well, we'll get into that. This is fun. But still, Nimitz, the 2004 Nimitz incident. Of course, I've talked a lot about it on the show, interviewed various people. Uh, Nick Pope was on last week. We talked about it. And of course, Robert Powell has been on, and he's kind of, he's a part of the SCU, kind of leading this research. But when people uh, say, well, you know, what can you add to it? You know, that Elizondo and his group have already looked at it. We have this leaked document from George Knapp that uh, has been confirmed by Elizondo that, you know, is this military report. What can be added? What would be your answer to that? I think where, where we're at is, you know, it's always good to have multiple sets of eyes on things, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning, meaning that we may come up with a different perspective than another group. Uh, and that's okay. All right. There's no reason why uh, what for something that we, we do or our approach can't be also considered. And we might pick up on something in our study that might not have been looked at or that maybe they don't have. And, and let me also point out to you that do you see those uh, results of that analysis uh, being given to the general public? No. I mean, have you seen any analysis of that 
that's been supplied to you or data made available to the general public? No, because it's under a, a government thing. It's an ATIP thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you had was an, an ATIP project that was under the government, and that's still within the reign of the government and stuff probably is still classified in many respects. And what you get is only a little snippet of that information. For example, we don't have the radar data from that uh, that case, but you have again, you know, witnesses who have described it, and radar operators have talked about it. And so we've talked with the radar operators, we've talked with the pilots, we've talked with, uh, you know, overall a lot of different people to try to get their take on what what we saw, what they saw, and what, how they described it. And so, in some respects, we're actually somewhat validating what TTA is saying, okay, uh, by our doing our work. But at the same time, you know, we're going to be publishing ours. Well, I'd like to see theirs. Right. You know, and I don't, and you don't have it and I don't have it. Right. And, and so we take on, we're on their word uh, that they did this and here's their outcome of that case. But I, that's all I can do at that point, right? Yeah. Exactly. I think you make a lot of great points. That's what's really exciting about this report. And I know uh, the SCU report will be coming out soon is that, uh, yeah, we haven't seen. And I, I think that's something that we need to continue to talk about, uh, you know, amongst the community is. Uh, and, and Lou, you know, says he can't share anymore, unfortunately, because he's bound, you know, by his um, by uh, this. It, these things are, are still not. Um, released to the public. So all we have is this one leaked kind of short report with a handful of witnesses, but we don't right. have that radar data. We don't have analysis, uh, you know, how they analyze these videos, how they determined they were anomalous. Uh, we don't have a number of witnesses that I know that you all have been talking to. So it's going to be really exciting to see uh, how much of this report do you think is new and fresh and, and something that people wouldn't have seen before? Uh, well, I think that I think, you know, what's happened here is, and you know, as well as I do, it's a situation where we we, we work and we've had a lot of these uh, conversations with these people uh, and we've got this kind of information that was given to us. But like, you know, uh, let's say let me put it to you this way. Commander uh, Slate, who we talk with, who was uh, was all, also one of the uh, the people on board, one of the two aircraft. Yeah, you know, we we talk with him. We got a lot of detail that that he gave us that, you know, and he's not on Facebook and he's not out, you know, being interviewed. So consequently, we're going to have information that we got from him that, you know, hasn't been published. OK, so uh, or that has not that, that will be new. Uh, the other thing is that we've gone through exhaustive levels of detail of looking pixel by pixel at the video. And we have data like you wouldn't believe on that. And and we've got, you know, Larry Cates, that's, uh, who's a mathematician that's focused on it, who's published uh, an extensive amount of information. We have, you know, let me let me put it to you this way. Have you do, do you know what the kinetic energy that, uh, level that would have what would have happened if you had an object that dropped from 80,000 feet stopping and, and above uh, sea level in point seven, eight seconds? What would be the kinetic effect? What, what's the amount of G-force that you're talking about? How do you look at that and apply that to the concept of, you know, acceleration and deceleration? How do you do that? And we're looking at it through the lens of a scientist and say, how can this possibly happen? 
Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, Elon Musk is doing that, I guess, with his SpaceX rockets. But, of course, they've got rock jet engines, rocket engines, and they're expelling huge amounts of, of, of yeah. fuel to do this. Well, and, and think, yeah, exactly. And you don't have that, you know, here. Right. So, I mean, how do you how do you propel yourself to a, such a speed to the point where you can get to where you're going to be in 0.78 seconds? You've got to look at it like, you know. I've got to accelerate and then I have to decelerate to stop. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I, but but this is just instantaneous in that level. And how can that be? And then, you know, what do we know about aircraft? Well, we they go through the sky or they go through the atmosphere and, you know, they practically burn up, you know, the, the faster that they go. Right. So how do you deal with an object like that that's doing that? So, again, it's you're going to see like the perspective of the scientist or a physicist if you would, that's looking at that angle to say, well, how can this possibly be? So we do that as well. And, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of this kind of information that we're going to be able to, to, to give you. And you'll be able to, you know, it'll be, in, it'll be published. So you'll be able to see it and you'll be able to touch it. And you, you'll be able to, where you don't have that with the other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what's exciting about this group. And even, for instance, when you all put out your Aguadilla report, I mean, you're welcoming uh, scrutiny. And that's what science is about. It's not about hiding your information and being afraid of people to look at it and and kind of put it through its its, uh, paces. You want people to do that. So, uh, you know, other organizations want, you know, others like and now there is at least you all to be able to look at this and scrutinize it. Yes. So that's Precisely. really exciting. We've got to go to break, but I will mention when we come out of break, we're going to talk about this conference. Uh, and actually, it's located uh, near where you work, the Redstone Arsenal uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. And that's important because people may not realize this, but the last episode of Project Blue Book Operation Paperclip. Uh, They talked about Huntsville, but specifically, I don't think they even mentioned the name, specifically where those German scientists were working to begin the space program was at the Redstone Arsenal before NASA even existed. So we'll talk some about that. Rich's experience working in the area when we come back from this short break. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Open Mind GFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with Rich Hoffman. And uh, when we came, when we were going into the break, I was talking about the Redstone Arsenal. And uh, even when I wrote about Project Blue Book, the last episode, I don't even know if I, I mentioned the arsenal, but it's got a rich history. I, one can argue this is kind of where the birthplace of, of our U.S. space program. Yes, it's a very exciting thing. And, and, we're very excited here in Huntsville because, you know, uh, you, uh, you, we got the 50th anniversary of the, the moon landing. And, and this is where the rockets were built. In fact, if you go over and I, I know that you know this because you went to space camp. We have space camp here yeah. and we've got we have the Davidson Center. It's got an actually a full stage Saturn V in it on its side. And you can go and look at it. 
Uh, but then there's also a, a large you know, Saturn V sitting out there. And then they have all the earlier models of rockets and stuff like that. And even on the Arsenal, you can go over there and there's like, you know, the original Redstone test facility that Werner von Braun used for the Redstone rocket, right? It's still over there and people on the base and, you know, people can go over and see that and, and that those test stands are still there. And, you know, it's very exciting because the SLS is being built now. And, of course, there's all different kinds of things related to that. And, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's an exciting place with NASA there, but it's got that rich history like you talk about of that whole space program. Uh, and now you have the Marshall Space Flight Center there and you've got uh, in addition to that, the, I don't know if you know this, but like the FBI is leaving Quantico and coming here. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the uh, the entire uh, Quantico location for the FBI is now here at Redstone, and and of course I'm the military, uh, def, uh, the missile defense agency is here. Everything relating to space and missiles, you know, and the Army and stuff like this here, and air, you know, uh, Army aviation is here, and. I work for the uh, Army uh, Materiel Command, which is the entire logistics umbrella. To and it, by the way, it's the corollary to the Air Force Materiel Command that had underneath it Project Blue Book. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, it's funny for me because I started off in Dayton, Ohio, and I, in fact, I, you know, I've had occasions uh, to go out to the base and, and meet with some people and stuff like that, and gave a lecture on UFOs, by the way, out there. But um, so I, I'm kind of like I, I left there, and somehow I ended up in the Army sister organization, <laughs> and uh, and so it's kind of like an interesting little thing for me that, that I'm now back uh, and I'm I'm working for them, and uh, you know doing this whole thing, and and they they're pretty much receptive to me doing this as well, which is really cool. Oh, that is cool, and uh, which I think says a lot. But uh, and we'll get into that. But that's probably. I mean, I would imagine because this is a space hub, why it's so exciting uh, that you have been putting together this this short conference. And maybe tell us about the conference and um, what the the mission is, kind of what you're attempting to accomplish. Yeah, I, I you know I. A lot of us have been talking about wanting to do a conference, and I and I was willing to say, like, you know, I'd love to be able to have, I love to have one in the back door, uh, of, so to speak, of this, you know, Redstone Arsenal and uh, and the Marshall Space Flight Center, and and to now see if we can get a collaboration between some of the scientists uh, and engineers and that type of people that are over there. Uh, included in that is University of Alabama Huntsville, which is largely a uh, uh, at an engineering school and, you know, even encourage them to come um, and to get, you know, we're, we're surrounded by all of the corollary industry, the, the DOD businesses, if you would, that support them like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, uh, you know, all these companies are around here and it's just huge tech quarter for this kind of thing. And so consequently, you know, I'd love to be able to have this serious scientific dis- you know, discussion between people that are on the base or in industry or in academia talking about the UFO subject uh, uh, seriously and saying, and for us to come in an open kimono, lay out why we think that it's important that we continue to do it. And, you know, and then with the fact that you have this Pentagon program that was announced, you know, and, that that announcement kind of gives it a little bit more credibility in a lot of people's eyes. 
the fact that here's a you know here we are at the Pentagon, you know, studying this thing as a threat identification program, uh, kind of like look an aerospace threat. And so, if you have that kind of a context, that maybe you might be able to now get them to be willing to converse and collaborate. So I've constructed the the conference, if you would, to create a kind of like a a, a very highly collaborative environment from uh, over the time period that we're holding this. And so that's where I'm going, and and that's what I'm trying to achieve, and uh, and that's I'm looking for very scientific or minded people or very serious minded people to attend, uh, and I'm you know I'm getting doctors that are presenting, I'm getting uh, I'm getting uh, you know of course we'll be talking about the Aguadilla case, and, and not in the context that we even have answers on it, but more like in the context that you know here's a case that has that kind of like data that we're looking to get, you know, uh, and then we're also going to be talking about the detection and characterization of anomalous aerial phenomena uh, using satellite data imagery. So you have, and Philippe Alaris from uh, the European Space Agency is coming over. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to be looking at the physics of the Nimitz case and talking about that. We're going to be talking about the Aguadilla case, but then we're also going in and talking about, you know, uh, you know, constraints on societies engaged in, in uh, interstellar travel. And, and also we have a propulsion systems expert from the base. So we're going to be talking a lot of different things. And we're hopefully, you know, uh, we're pulling in uh, those kind of people. And I'm being told that we're getting a lot of interest and in chatter on even on the Intel networks, uh, you know, intelligence people. And so they're very intrigued and, and excited about it. Um, so I, I, Lou is extremely excited about it. I mean, just from the standpoint that we offered it, him to be the keynote for this conference, because I think that his, his approach to this thing is right in sync. And he was a former military guy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, he was former army at the same time he has the, uh, the Pentagon experience. And so he can help us to kind of like get that, uh, where we want to go. And so, I'm very excited about this. I think it's going to be a, a great conference, and it's you need to contrast this against a lot of the other conferences you you probably have even heard of. But I mean, it, it's it again. It focuses solely science and 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 getting the scientific community engaged and talking, and and that's where we're trying to go. Mm-hmm. And and one of, one of the things I I found out very right off the bat is we need to get away from the term UFO because to the scientists and the, to the people on the base, that they won't even begin to come. And so uh, we got to put this, we had to change this over to like, you know, anomalous aerospace phenomena, you know, and aerospace is, it connotes actually, believe it or not, it's not just, you know, air and stuff like that. It's actually, that, that's a term that that works in all three layers, you know, the oceans, the uh, the atmosphere, and in space. Hmm. So we're calling it AAP, anomalous aerospace phenomena, and and trying to to do what we can to pretty much avoid as much as we can the term UFO because we're trying to get them to look at this in a different context other than you know what the typical UFO thing brings up. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because. It wasn't like uh, on the program, uh, Project Blue Book, it wasn't Heineck, a scientist who came up with UFO, but it was, uh, you know, uh, Ruppelt, who was in charge yeah. of, of Project Blue yeah. Book, who came up with that term. Right. So it was a Air Force term, but it's gotten, 
corrupted, I suppose, is is the way you'd put it, and and people's perceptions have changed, and so it's interesting that you know we have this world where we have these scientists who are now uh, like this Harvard scientist in the news, Loeb, and we've got um, others that uh, have been talking about, uh, you know, the importance of paying more attention to sort of these anomalous events. And, uh, and so, and Lou, in a way, has kind of shoehorned the UFO issue into some intelligence work. Uh, He did that while he was in his career, along with others, whose names we don't even know because he cannot share who he worked with in the intelligence world uh, on these sorts of things. But now that's what's great about what you all are doing because it's filling that kind of gap that even scientists are saying that we need filled, which is to take a serious look at these incidents that could be related to, and, and this is the scientist saying this, that could be, you know, the result of intelligent extraterrestrial intelligences. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's wide open in terms of trying to figure out where these things, you know, could emanate from, come from, or even what they are. Uh, you know, and we haven't eliminated these big hypotheses. In other words, are they all coming from outer space? No. You know, the data doesn't suggest that. Or are they... Uh, have they always been here? Uh, uh, you know, I always there's the always been here hypothesis, if you would. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, and they, there's you could argue that you could talk about interdimensional like ballet. You know, that they they pop in and pop out of you know space and time or something of that nature. And you can have ca- cases that substantiate that. You can, you can have uh, you know instances where they kind of like you know completely just blank out in front of a witness or something like that and pop in out of nowhere. Well, you've got that. And then at the same time, you've got, you know, like if you want to go with the Bentwaters case where, you know, you, you know, Peniston goes up and basically touches one and, you know, he's, he's actually touching it and, and that type of thing. And, and then gets these things, these ones and zeros binary code, I guess. And it translates into something like it's a time machine from our future or something of that nature. So we don't, you know. We don't do a good job of eliminating all the various hypotheses, but we do need to, to do. And I think that this is where, like, you know, Lou's doing and they're doing a, the focus was a very, very good focus. What do these things do? They seem to be able to, uh, like, if you would, cloak themselves. Uh, they have stealthy kind of capabilities. They, they, they're not bothered by w- working in water. They're not. They don't change their shape uh, at all. There's, there's the same shape object will go in water, be out in space, or be in the atmosphere. Yet we build things with, you know, that are, have to have a different kind of look and feel to them, right? So in order to be able to maneuver through those different media, and and yet these things don't do that. Well, wouldn't that be great to know? Or what about, you know, obviously positive lift? You know, the fact that they can hover and they can do what they can do. How, how do I begin to, to have something that that can be maneuvered from 80,000 feet to 0.78 seconds ending up and stopping just above the water? You know, I mean, how do I do that? And so we need to be able to understand these things, categorize and, and look at and sort those kind of details out and see what, if anything, we can figure out in terms of how that works. And that's what science does, you know, it, it looks at it that way. 
Mm -hmm. And what's great about this is at least it's showing uh, Lou, who's got uh, certainly uh, his his connections into the real serious mainstream uh, and high level echelons of of the government, of intelligence, of DOD, and also now more and more science that and these scientists that there are serious science minded people who have been looking into this for a very long time who you can come in and listen to it and talk to you know at your level if you're a scientist and and uh inside of your own comfort zone and i think that's really important to kind of uh introducing you know uh, the idea that it's okay to look into this stuff and there are er avenues of research that uh are very interesting that uh, can be looked into. Yes, absolutely. And so the more we can put that lens on and, and figure out what's going on and, and seeing if we can come up with uh, those answers or eliminate some of these things, you know, that we believe, for example, you know, uh, you had Stephen Hawking who was interested in the Hawking radiation. Well, the question was to, in his mind, was does the UFO, when it pops in or pops out, is, do you see any indications of Hawking radiation or a, a, an indication that there's a wormhole that's being created? Well, do you know what one looks like? Do you know, uh, and, and what do we need to do to be able to figure out? Because the witness, the more we educate the witnesses that, or, or even getting that data or having the right kind of information will help us to do it. And it, does that mean that we need to be uh, enlisting cameras that go beyond the visible? Because we're tired of not getting anything, you know, that's meaningful from the visible range of the spectrum. How about we go into the ultraviolet? How about if we go into the, you know, and these other ranges like infrared, near infrared, long, you know, far infrared. How about if we go into, you know, other, and the spectrum is pretty large. So I think that if we go and we look and develop the means to be able to detect those kinds of things like gamma ray radiation, or that we might be able to learn more about their operation and their capability. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's what we're trying to say that we need to really, really focus on. And again, if we get scientists engaged in that, which is very, you know, encouraging to me, then we might be able to then uh, be able to collaborate, come up with ideas, share, uh, and 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 really go at this thing in a way much more dedicated approach that's going to yield some results. Because hey, look, I didn't, I haven't, I'm not in this 54 years because I don't want to get answers. I want to get answers, you know, and we can we can talk on social media or, or do all this other stuff and, and not get anywhere for any length of time and just create a wonderful mythology out there. But I'm not interested in that. And I, I want to be able to get past the mythology stuff and instead focus on what is it that we know about or can deduce from these things that are being seen. Right. And 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 that's why I've stated in it for 54 years to get answers. I think this is all uh, just really extremely exciting. Of course, what uh, Lou Elizondo is working on is very exciting. What he shared thus far is very exciting. And, and what you are, are doing, I think that it, it's the perfect thing to be go happening at this time. I mean, uh, it's, it's just a really exciting time for this topic. I mean, would you agree with that? I think it is. I think it's a very exciting time. And I think that the, the, if we can keep the, the interest level up and we can help to develop these kind of like, you know, 
organizations like you know SCU or whatever or TCS or whatever you know that that can keep the focus on it and to to build on it you know and to get actually some support uh, in terms of doing this you know uh, invisible college if you would, uh, that we might be able to actually now get somewhere, form maybe even our own association and go from there or something like that. But, but I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these gradual approaches and we're fighting the big, you know, the big fight, if you would, in terms of getting, uh, getting two scientists who have basically shut the door on this subject, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and said, well, we're not going to even go there, you know, and, and, and I mean, I'll be honest with you. There was one time where I went up to say, well, I was like wanting to study about how to write a research paper. And on the front page of that website that I went to, it said, as an example, you don't want to write about UFOs. <laughs> oh, wow. That's hilarious. And this is the yeah, this is like, you know, so don't even broach the, the subject of UFOs. Uh, on your research. And this was on the front page of this, like how to write a research paper. Right. Wow. So, I mean, I'm going like, wow, well, we've got some work to do, buddy. We've got, <laughs> we have to, we have got some serious work to do to change this around. And, and, you know, and so that's where we're trying to go. And it's one step at a time and it's, you know, getting science moved back up into uh, doing this. And, the more we can have this level of discussion where we have data where we can talk about it and we, we can, we can share data or we can, that's going to be better. That, that will bring help to bring it on. And mm-hmm. to, the other thing is to create a, a, a means for them to have a safe conversation because part of what I was trying to do here was, you know, I wanted to keep media out I, media per se, like, you know, let's don't have the TV stations coming in. And, uh, you know, and airing this whole thing, you know, all because Lou's there. And Lou was emphatic about not uh, not marketing him. And mm-hmm. I and I applaud him for that because he said, I didn't want I don't want to be the thing that detracts from your scientific work. Hmm. You get what you know, oh, you know, and that's a hell of a lot of integrity. And I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that on, on his from his standpoint. He said, I don't want to become the detractor where all the news media wants to come in and interview me. And I said, I, I agree. And in fact, I don't, you know, I mean, my hope was that we would avoid all that kind of stuff, primarily just to be able to get a conversation where people from the base could talk about their military things in a safe environment, knowing that it's not going to now be on the front page news. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying, right? You know right. what I'm coming right, right. right. So, exactly. I'm, and I do want to get to, because we're about out of time here. Um, yeah. That it's not necessarily completely open to the public, but uh, it you're looking for essentially, like we've talked about, science-minded like professionals who are in this sort of arena. Yeah, and so we are we're trying to like basically go through and get an, a, a you know qualifying that that uh, as we go through the attendees and stuff like that. Uh, so we've got we on our explorescu.org website. We've got if you do a if you do the www.explorescu.org and then you put a forward slash, then you put AAPC, we have a place where you can go up and you can basically give us some information about you. And, and then we could then make it, you know, help you to then get, say you're connected or you're not. We're just not looking to get like, you know, you know, hi, I learned about UFOs yesterday mm-hmm. and I, I'm, in, I'm interested in the subject because 
I'll be honest with you, this conference is going to be way over your, the general person's head, per se. Right. <laughs> it's going to be more science. <laughs> it's not about, you know, I saw a UFO last night. Let me tell you the story. Right. Mm. So that's not what that's not what we're doing. And the other thing is, I mean, I, I've made this thing at such a rate. I don't know if you saw my rate. Uh, right now, it's one hundred and fifty dollars to attend the event. And that's good through the uh the 15th of February, and then I'm going to raise it to 175. But, but guess what? I've got it a rate that, that makes it affordable because that includes four meals, two lunches and two dinners. Oh, wow. So, I mean, where can you go to a conference this day for that kind of price with, with people like this coming in and, and doing it? And, and it? and so my big concern was, my God, the, half the base was closed because of the, uh, the government shutdown. NASA was closed. Uh, also, the FBI was closed. And so there was a lot of those people that are – and the contractors took a big hit. you know. And so they're hurting financially. And then there's the threat coming up on the 15th of maybe another one, you know? Right. So they're, they're being a little bit hesitant about signing up and saying that they even want to spend that little bit of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, that's kind of like where we, we – we set this thing up, and, and I, I think it's going to be fabulous. I, I really do, and I'm looking forward to having any serious-minded individuals that, that have you know an interest in science and stuff like that to really be the ones that come. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm really excited about everything SCU is doing. Of course, I, I've been involved with helping to develop SCU at the beginning and everything, and, uh, and I am just so extremely excited about the organization all of you involved with it and where it's headed and uh it's great keep up the great work thank you uh i I appreciate everything you do for us and and, uh i really i'm very sincere when i say that thank you so much to rich for joining the show that was so much fun uh be sure to check out explorescu.org for more information about what the seu is up to and if you are interested in that conference check that out um that should be a lot of fun it's going to be very technical so uh you know you'll only want to go if you're into that sort of thing but i think the networking that will happen there is going to be very very important but thank you very much. So when it comes to the news that we talked about uh, earlier in the show, be sure to find all of that at openminds.tv. Some of it won't be up till later this week. I update the news every Thursday before my UFO live show on YouTube. And I have that on Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Arizona time, which is currently aligned with Mountain. We don't change our time zone, so that makes it a little funky, but uh, time zones are just that way, aren't they? But you can always also follow my social media, because I'm updating that every day. And you can find Open Mind UFO uh, news on the forum also on Facebook, and follow that as well. And all of that information you find at openminds.tv or at alejandrotrojas.com. The UFO Congress is also got a blog where lots of UFO news is going up there as well, ufocongress.com. Be sure to get on the email list at ufocongress.com because we're also sending updates. Now, these updates include UFO news, but they also include really cool UFO and alien products at the store 
And they include updates on the conference itself. And that's going to be a very important conference. Of course, this is one that everybody goes to. And everybody's going to want to come to this next one, not just because we've relocated to downtown Phoenix, which is going to be a lot of fun, but also because the speakers are great. We're going to be listing those speakers really soon, so you're going to want to be on that email list. Remember, go to ufocongress.com to get on that email list. Otherwise, we're going to have another great show next week. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. Thank you to Martin for the moral support. I know he was thinking of us even if he couldn't be here. Uh, Thank you to uh, Systematics for the bumper music. And of course, as usual, thank you, the listeners, for being here. Until next time, adios muchachos.